welcome to this week's edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. I am Rico, your host, and uh, this is podcast 257 for December the 13th, 2009. A little less than two weeks to Christmas. It's hard to believe. Uh, this week on the show, I'm going to be looking at uh, one of my just all-time favorite movies. It, it's not really sci-fi, but it, it's a, just a classic adventure film. And one of my favorites, Raiders of the Lost Ark with Harrison Ford, story by George Lucas and Spielberg directing. It's just it's just a great movie and long overdue for a look here on Treks in Sci-Fi. Talk a little bit about Trek, uh, some things going on with that, uh, a bit about sci-fi on TV, and, and just the usual other topics. So, But it's mainly going to be Raiders, uh, all Raiders, all the show just about so sit back, relax, and uh, we'll be back in a moment. Well, welcome to the show again, everyone. This is Rico, and it's a pretty nasty kind of day here in Michigan as I record here on this Sunday morning. We've had uh, a little bit of snow the past few days. It's been really cold, and last night we sort of had some rain, uh, freezing rain type coming down, and now there's kind of this glaze of ice over everything, so... You know, I'd rather we just get like, you know, many inches of snow. This this When it hovers around freezing, you get some weird weather uh, at this time of year. And that's what we've been having the last week or so. But it, I guess it's livable. Today we're supposed to get up above freezing by a few degrees, so it should be okay. And tomorrow, and then it's going to get a little colder again. And I hope the weather out uh, wherever you are is okay. I know it's been kind of wacky across the United States the last week or so. A lot of people getting a lot of snow, places that don't usually even get snow. So, and it's it's pretty uh, pretty crazy for just December. So we'll see how the the rest of the uh, winter time shakes out here. Like I said earlier, we're going to be mainly talking about uh, the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark from 1981 later on the podcast. But let's first talk a little bit about uh, TV and what I've been watching and. Uh, I wanted to especially mention uh, the TV show Dollhouse. I know I've talked about this a couple of times, and it's come up uh, um, at different points in the podcast over the you know the time it's been on last season and this season. The show, unfortunately, has been canceled by Fox, but they are still airing these uh, final episodes for season two. And I I have to say that you know what Fox is doing, they're putting uh, two hours back to back episodes on Friday nights the last two weeks. So we've had like four hours of it in in two weeks time, and I think next week is the same situation. But I just wanted to say if, if you've watched this show, I, I hope that people are are still continuing to watch it and haven't just gone and said, oh the show is canceled because uh, you know so I won't bother to watch anymore. They are really doing some great episodes, lots of information coming out, lots of new and, and different things. I really wonder, as I've been watching the last couple of weeks, if these episodes were all done prior to them learning about the uh, the cancellation or, or if they knew it was kind of coming. Because it's almost like they're they're compressing things. They're really pulling out a lot of stuff 
the main character, uh, Eliza Dushku's uh, character, Echo, uh, has really been uh, changing quite a bit her character. Uh, lots of things happening there. And just in, you know, we're learning a lot more about the dollhouse, too. So I'm not going to give away specific spoilers, but let's just say they, they really are, are making some amazing and showing some amazing episodes. And if you've not watched this show, I, I urge you strongly to pick it up. Season one, I, I think, yeah, that's out on DVD, and you can probably catch up on season two via probably Hulu uh, or other places online, other ways and other means. Uh, but again, this is just, it, it's unfortunate because I really like this show quite a bit. The characters are interesting and kind of quirky. Uh, Topher, the programmer guy, is just great, and everyone does an amazing job. And it's the kind of show where the characters are all kind of very complex. You don't know if exactly, you know, which side they're on, and there's they're not really good, bad, or whatever. They're somewhere in between, and it's just, they very much surprise me, which takes quite a bit sometimes on a TV show these days. So uh, check out Dollhouse, still airing on Fox on Friday nights in, in most areas, I think, or at least in the United States. No. Like, come on. <laughs> Pretend Jen, I'm not, like we're singing. I'm not singing. We're not. No, I'm not singing. We can record it. And you could say that right there, and that would be funny. I know. That's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> I'm creating comedy. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to You're create comedy. Sing. Yes. Well, no, I'm trying to create comedy like right now. I know. That's, As we that's speak. funny. <laughs> that's funny. I'm helping you create comedy. This is Angela. <laughs> and this is Jen. We're from the Anomaly Podcast. You're listening to Rico on Treks and Sci-Fi. <laughs> well, up uh, as far as uh, on the Trek uh, front right now, not a huge amount. Uh, I did read uh, earlier this morning that Zachary Quinto is going to be doing a lot of voice work or uh, recording a lot of voice work for, maybe he already has, probably already has, for the new uh, Star Trek online game that's coming out in February from Cryptic uh, Studios. Uh, early February, uh, I think the second or the third, maybe it's coming out, whatever, probably the first uh, Tuesday of that month is. But anyway, Zachary Quinto is going to be recording some audio uh, for that game. I'm not sure, you know, if it's going to be like a Spock type part. I don't really think so. I think it's just some audio that they felt like they wanted to use him. But who knows? Uh, Not a lot of details on that, just that he's working with them and uh, doing some audio work. What I did want to bring out Star Trek wise uh, was the kind of this ongoing continuing story and saga of uh, William Shatner, Kirk, you know, Kirk Shatner, that uh, he's still petitioning and trying to get in the next Star Trek movie. There was a a cool little uh, interview with him. He was on the Jimmy Kimmel show program this past week, and I thought I would play just a little audio uh, from that. You can find that. I I link the videos up on the main treksinsci-fi.com website. Uh, there's a couple parts to the interview, but towards the end of the second part is when they talk Trek. So uh, listen to uh, Jimmy and uh, and uh, William Shatner talk about the movie and J.J. Abrams. Forget the uni. What's going on with Star Trek? I what, don't know. Are you, you call J.J. for me? Yeah, I will call him. God, yeah. uh, please call him and ask him and tell him in a slightly plaintive note. Uh, what are you doing? Well, you should say I'm the captain. 
and it's time for the captain to take charge. I said that, and then yeah. this guy, this maitre d' came over and said, no, I'm the captain. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then the uni came, and he goes, well, I, you didn't give me an answer on that, but uh, you know what, you don't have to. I think it, I don't. I literally don't know. I, think I you mean, it's a, Star Trek is a wonderful show, and they did a wonderful movie. J.J. is, I think of as a, think of as a buddy, he's a great director, and uh, I'm sure when the right time comes, he'll make the right decision. <laughs> you heard it, J.J. William Shatner, Shatner's runner of his Sunday at 10 on the Bio Channel. Yeah, so there you have it. Uh, Shatner and J.J. Abrams supposedly or did have lunch. They've talked a little bit. And uh, who knows, maybe he'll turn up in some kind of a part in the next film. I, again, I, I really think it, if they can do it, it would be kind of nice. If they can't, it's not a big deal. I, I, I wouldn't want to see him just sort of shoved into the movie in some way. I did like that scene that they wrote for him uh, that, uh, that's that been out on the web now for a while. That You can find that. I think I linked that also on the website. It's over at trekmovie.com. But they put out a couple of weeks ago the actual scene that they had written for him for the uh, first or the last movie, the first movie, first J.J. Abrams movie. And that uh, you can read that. And it's okay. It was kind of towards the end of the movie, a little bit of a cameo in a way. But it would have been kind of neat. But, again, I, I just think – they shouldn't just do it to just do it, you know. It should be kind of part of the part part of the story in a way. If they could, that would be best. Uh, but we'll see what happens. Hi, folks. Before we get started on Treks in Sci-Fi today, I want to tell you about a new promotion that I have going with Zazzle.com. Z-A-Z-Z-L-E.com. It's a place online that you can go to to make custom T-shirts, mugs greeting cards, uh, mouse pads, all kinds of cool stuff, uh, paper that you might want to note paper and things. Anyway, you can do your own images on these things, uh, text and all kinds of stuff like that. And if you go over to Zazzle.com now, make sure to use the special promo codes that I have. If you order uh, something $50 and more, you can save 10% if you use the code TREXINSI10. And you can get 12% off orders that are $75 or more using the code TREXINSI12, okay? And there's a link on the main website about those offers, too, if you don't have a pencil to write it down right now. I also wanted to mention, uh, before we really get into the main topic, Raiders of the Lost Ark, but I also wanted to thank uh, some recent folks uh, that have donated to the podcast. Uh, that's great. I really appreciate it. Uh, also, make sure that you check out the, the promotions and things that I have going. The other ones on the main website, there's a place called Sticker Foo that you can get some cool stickers and stickers put them in the back of your car, you know, things like Jedi Academy and other sci-fi and fantasy things. Uh, they, do a, they do one from Harry Potter and, uh, of course, a Trek one as well, Starfleet Academy, Jedi Academy. So check out StickerFoo.com. Again, there's a code. I think it's TrekSF to save some money there. Also, uh, there's some other promotions, Entertainment Earth and Amazon, all kinds of stuff. And, again, thanks for the recent donations to the podcast. If you'd like to do that, there is a donation button also over at treksinsci-fi.com. For nearly 3,000 years, man has searched for the lost Ark of the Covenant. The Bible speaks of the Ark leveling mountains and laying waste to entire regions. Not something to be taken lightly. No one knows its secrets. Jones, do you realize what the Ark is? It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking to God. 
in an army which carries the Ark before it is invincible. The Ark, if it is there, Atanis, then it is something that man was not meant to disturb. It is protected by forces beyond imagination. It is desired above all treasures on earth by those who are good, trust me, and those who are evil. I tell you everything. Yes, I know you will. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Let her go. If you still want the Ark, it has been loaded onto a truck for Cairo. Raiders of the Lost Ark. A film from Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. See where to begin. Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, a movie that came out in uh, June of 1981. Uh, gosh, so how long is that now? Do the math. 28 years, a little bit more than 28 years since this first came out. And I can still remember when I first saw it. I can remember going back and seeing it a few times. It was re-released a couple of times, I believe. Uh, I think the next summer, especially, they re-released it. But, you know, Raiders in in the character of Indiana Jones have become so well-known, you know, throughout the world. It's one of the probably the most popular movie series, one of the most popular characters. I know it's on a lot of top movie lists. Uh, and, uh, you know, critics loved it. Fans love it. it it's, it's just a, a, a solid movie. And I, as I was... I collected up some audio clips that I'll be playing uh, throughout the discussion that I'm going to have and try to give you some information you may or may not know about the movie. But uh, as I was collecting the clips again uh, yesterday for this uh, podcast, I, I was just amazed at how tight this movie is. And I, I mean that in a good way. You know, there, there's a lot of movies sometimes these days that people will say is too long. They, they should edit some parts out. This movie is really, when you go from start to uh, just the start of the op- or the ending credits, it's only one hour and 50 minutes long. Of course, a little longer with all the credits. But it's still not quite a two-hour movie, not even a two-hour movie. And there's just so much in it, so much action, adventure, romance, uh, stunt work is amazing. It, this movie, it, to me, is is just a, a perfect film. If I was teaching like a film class, this would be at the top of my list uh, as far as how to make a movie, how to make a solid movie, a movie that doesn't waste any time, that, that uh, still you learn a lot about the characters, not just for them sitting around talking, but for, for their actions and what they're doing. This movie also, I found out, <laughs> and I kind of knew this ahead of time, but it's also a very difficult movie to record audio clips for and play uh, for a podcast like this. I probably, if I'd been really thinking about this, it probably would have been a lot more fun. And maybe someday in the future I'll do this. But 
this this really probably should have been a video podcast because this movie is very visual. There's you know quite a bit of dialogue and script and, and acting going on in that, but there are so many action pieces and, and scenes in the film that collecting audio for it. Uh, you know, there's a couple of clips that I have that you won't hear a lot of audio, uh, or I'm sorry, not you won't hear, hear a lot of dialogue during the clips. But I tried to collect mostly clips that show you the characters and show some dialogue from the movies, but. It is an amazingly visual movie. You could almost watch this movie silently, you know, and and it, it's it's a when you see that it, it's so Lucas Spielberg all over it. It's just amazing, and that's the other thing I wanted to point out too here at the beginning of talking about this. The combination of these two guys at this time in their career, Lucas really doing mostly the the initial story ideas and things coming up with the concept and that for the most part, along with a a guy named Philip Kaufman. I'll talk more about that in a minute. But, and then Spielberg directing. It's just an unbeatable combination. The directing in this movie is top-notch. The way the scenes are set up, the angles, the shot, I just could go on and on about all that. I, I just, when I watch this now, it holds up so well and I think part of that is, you know, obviously I, I like it a lot. I like the story, the characters and all. But it's also a little bit timeless since it was set in the past. You know, it came out in 81, but it's set in the 30s. You also don't get that, uh, you know, sense that, oh, gosh, this this movie looks silly now because it, it hasn't aged well, as they say. But that won't really happen here because this is set in a certain time period. And we never really, it didn't come out in the same time it was set. Like a, a current movie, like if you watch a movie that's set in present day, if you watch it 20, 30 years from now, it'll look a little funny, just like when we look at movies that were set, you know, sometimes in the past. But this one doesn't really do that, because the first time we saw it, it was set in a time period of like 50 years before the the time period we were living in. Does that make sense, I hope? I don't know why exactly I brought that up. I wasn't really intending to, but I think that's an interesting point to, to look at. So, so anyway, where do we we start to to look at this? Let's I guess look at the the history and what got this movie started and, and onto the screen. the The story goes that, uh, and this has been reported in in several places and most of this stuff. I've got a great book, by the way. I wanted to mention uh, this is called The Complete Making of Indiana Jones. It goes through and talks about all of the Indiana Jones movies, even up even. <laughs> excuse me, need a little more Gatorade. Even up to uh, the the one from uh, last summer, uh, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but the big chunk of the book. The, again, this book is uh, by a guy named J. W. Rinsler. He's done a making of Star Wars. He's also working, I think, on the making of Empire Strikes Back. But it's it's chock full of uh, great photos and behind the scenes information. The majority of it, probably I think a good part of the book, more than half of it is devoted to Raiders of the Lost Ark. There's stuff on Temple of Doom, Last Crusade, and The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but the big chunk of it is Raiders. And if you're a fan of Indy and the Indiana Jones films, you really should pick this book up. It's not that expensive. There's a couple of different versions. I've got the soft cover one. I think it was only around 20 or $25, and it's very much worth it has some amazing pictures and production stuff inside it. And and I was reading through it the past couple of nights, getting ready for the podcast. Most of the stuff I had heard over the years, but a few things were new. Also, there's other sites online you can learn a lot too. But let's go back to the beginning of the start of this, uh, the movie and the concept for this. 
George Lucas is credited basically with coming up with the idea. Uh, he really wanted to do a movie that uh, was sort of a throwback to the old serials uh, that he watched as a kid growing up. Things that were done in the 30s and 40s about adventurers off, you know, finding these lost treasures. And he also had this idea of a space fantasy, which, of course, turned into Star Wars eventually in those films. He was kind of working on uh, both concepts around the same time and had worked on some outlines and some story ideas. He actually kind of really worked on and came up with the idea of Raiders of the Lost Ark and Indiana Jones, who he was calling in the early days Indiana Smith. That uh, And the name Indiana, I might as well mention that now, was he picked that... Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, he had a dog, an Alaskan Malamute dog at the time that was named, uh, his dog, George Lucas's dog, was named Indiana. And uh, so he liked that name a lot. And there was also a, a character in a movie uh, that uh, also was uh, kind of a, a treasure hunter a bit. Uh, that character was Nevada Smith. So anyway, George Lucas, you know, his dog's named Indiana, and he's coming up with a name for this adventurer character, decides to call him Indiana. And the funny thing, of course, everyone knows pretty much now that if you've seen the third movie, The Last Crusade, uh, Sean Connery's character, Indy's dad in that movie, says that Indy took this nickname. He didn't like his name, Junior, Henry Jones Jr., so he takes the name Indiana from the family dog. Uh, even, you know, Indy says something like, I really like the dog, and... So he starts to call himself Indiana, and it's a nickname and a little play on the whole idea that George Lucas used his dog as the inspiration for Indy's name. So, the uh, again, back to the start of the concept, though. Lucas had come up with the idea. He met with another uh, movie maker called—his uh, name was Philip Kaufman, and they were actually going to do the movie together— Philip Kaufman was going to direct the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark. He came up with uh, the idea that, that Indy's a big adventure for this first movie would be searching for this lost Ark of the Covenant that was credited to uh, Philip Kaufman, came up with that little part of the story. But uh, then he got off on doing another movie. They were trying to shop this movie around. Most studios were turning them down, so it, didn't, it wasn't going very well. So Philip, Philip Kaufman kind of dropped out of the whole project. And then we go to the story and the the situation where when George Lucas first released Star Wars, when he you know he kind of shelved Indy for a while, the idea of Indiana Jones movie and Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then he went to work on Star Wars. Of course, wrote that, got 20th Century Fox to work on that and and supply the funds, and then George Lucas filmed that, and that was released. And George Lucas has this. Uh, kind of tradition, and I guess Spielberg does a little bit too, that when they open a big new movie, they kind of like to disappear a little bit. So George Lucas was going to go on a little vacation to Hawaii, and he wanted Stephen, uh, his friend, who they've known, they they had known each other since like the time their times in film school, uh, he wanted uh, Stephen to go along. So they kind of both went to uh, Hawaii with their wives, and on the uh, the story is they're sitting on the beach doing you know making sandcastles and get the word that Star Wars is opened. It's a huge big success, of course. Lines around the block. Uh, you know it was Star Wars was originally released in just a limited number of theaters, and it was selling out and doing amazing. Uh, you know the first week it came out. So Spielberg or sorry Lucas is feeling very relieved, very happy, and he turns to his friend Stephen and he says, "Hey, I've got this." Um, 
this other idea for a film and he runs the concept by Steven and he loves it and uh, and basically Lucas wants Steven to direct the movie and they kind of do a sort of a gentleman's agreement at the time and uh, that sets into motion uh, the word or the word <laughs> the word I guess if Kirk would be doing it you know is the word given yes that sets into motion the the situation for making Raiders of the Lost Ark he talks. I have the vaguest idea. It's whatever he wants. The Indiana Jones story started before I was working on the screenplay for Star Wars. Um, when I was thinking about doing a sort of modern fairy tale uh, couched in uh, sort of Saturday matinee serial vernacular, um, I was thinking about all the great things I can do. And obviously one of the subjects that came up was to do it in outer space and do it sort of like Flash Gordon. And the other idea I had at the same time was really to do it about an archaeologist who goes around finding ancient artifacts that have sort of a supernatural flavor to them. Uh, and both of them would be kind of a, you know, a, a serial, non-stop action kind of adventure. Uh, I decided to really go with the space idea, and I put the archaeologist on the shelf to gather dust. Then I connected with Phil Kaufman, who's another filmmaker up here in San Francisco, and uh, he got very excited about it. And we started working on it for uh, three or four weeks. And um, he had the idea of making the, the sort of supernatural sacred object that we were looking for, the Ark of the Covenant, because uh, he'd done some research in that. And, and uh, we went over that, and I said, oh, that's fantastic. It's perfect. It's just what we're looking for. And then Phil went off to work on a Clint Eastwood movie and said, oh, I, I can't do that movie now. So I put it back on the shelf and let it gather some more dust. And then I shot Star Wars. George and I had planned this vacation together. He was going to get away from Star Wars opening, which was has become a tradition with both of us over the years. And uh, I joined him in Hawaii, um, and we were just waiting for the grosses to come in, kind of like you know waiting for election returns. And uh, it turned out to be <laughs> a landslide for George Lucas. And George at that point just I think gushed a sigh of relief, and then change the subject from Star Wars to what I was doing next. And I said, well, you know what? I've always wanted to direct a James Bond picture. And George so I, I got that beat. I said, what do you mean? He said, I, I have a better idea. It's called Raiders of the Lost Ark. And so I sat down and kind of told him the story about this archaeologist and how it was like a Saturday matinee serial, and he got in one mess after another. And he just said, fantastic, let's do this. Indiana was my dog. Um, he, Indiana was the prototype for uh, the Wookiee for Chewbacca. He was this big, huge Malamute, would sit next to me in the car, giant bear of a dog. And uh, so uh, I named the character after my dog, and ultimately we put that in the movie. Originally when I wrote this, it was Indiana Smith, and then when I told the story to Stephen on the beach, he said, I love it, it's fantastic, let's go with it. He said, there's only one thing I don't like. I said, what's that? He said, I don't like the name. And I said, well, all right. Well, what if we call him Indiana Jones? He said, okay, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, so there you heard pretty much in the same um, or in different words with Lucas and Spielberg talking about the same kind of story of the origins of the movie and Raiders and the storyline. So the next step, I guess, that we could talk about is there was a, a writer uh, who had been a, a filmmaker, or he is a filmmaker too, Lawrence Kasdan, uh, who these uh, both Spielberg and Lucas liked, and they kind of recruited him and hired him to basically write the script for the movie. 
So the three of these guys, Spielberg, Lucas, and Lawrence Kasdan, all went to this cabin kind of in, I think it was in California somewhere. Not that important, but basically they went there for about a week or five days and hashed out the storyline to the movie. And they recorded these sessions, uh, I think, like on just a good old, old-fashioned cassette tape recorder. And the three of them worked out the different scenes and, and some of the story and the way the script was going to flow and go. And then it was Lawrence Kasdan's job to basically take all this audio and everything they talked about during this time back and write the script, which he did. But it turned out it was a, a much longer script at the beginning than they could use. It was There were scenes, actually, that, that were written in the movie that ended up in other indie movies, too. But they got the script eventually to the way they liked it and wanted it. And uh, another thing about Lawrence Kasdan is he eventually worked on one of the final drafts for the the script to Empire Strikes Back. Uh, and that's, eh, I won't get into that story, but the, the basics of the story were Lee Brackett, an author, a female author at the time, passed away. And Lucas wanted the script gone over again and, and uh, got to Lawrence Kasdan to do that there for Empire. Let's get into some of the clips, and I'll bring you. I'll, I'll give you some more background as we go, because uh, we have to f- sort of fade these rather than playing all the clips kind of at the end more. Uh, first one near the beginning of the movie. Give him the whip. Throw me the idol. No time to argue. Throw me the idol. I throw you the whip. Give me the whip. Adios, señor. The movie uh, opens in a Peruvian, uh, South American jungle, and Indies after this uh, golden idol, fertility idol as it's known. Uh, And, of course, that's when he's chased by that big boulder. That scene uh, with the boulder there actually took, uh, they filmed it like ten times, and he even falls down, and and, uh, it's it's not because of anything in particular. It's just they had to film that scene lots of times. all, another story is that he kept outrunning the boulder. He was running. They had, to, you know, the boulder had to be controlled, and it actually isn't moving maybe as fast as it looks like in the movie. And Harrison Ford is able to kind of outrun it a little faster than he should. They wanted, of course, to make it look like it was just barely right next to him and almost running him down. So they had to do that quite a bit, uh, uh, quite a few times on that take. Let's get into uh, and talk as we go through the clips, too, uh, a bit on the casting for this movie. And a lot of this, I, I I know that people listening to the podcast will know some of these stories about the movie. It's, it's been around a long time, been covered in a lot of different ways. But, uh, you know, I hope some people, with this, some of this stuff will be new. The, the big thing about the casting of this film was that they looked at a lot of actors. Early on, Spielberg, of course, brought up the idea and I think even Lucas had thought about it a little bit of the idea of Harrison Ford for Indiana Jones. They both always kept saying 
he's got the right uh, you know look he's got the right kind of attitude and style for the character but Lucas really resisted it he had already used uh, Harrison and American Graffiti and of course the Star Wars movies and he was reluctant to have uh, you know some directors tend to have actors they work with a lot Martin Scorsese he's one of the ones that does that a lot with Jack Nicholson and and uh, Al Pacino and other actors but anyway Lucas really didn't want to do that so they, they started to look for somebody else to play Indy some of their possibilities were uh, Bill Murray uh, Chevy Chase, Tim Matheson, Nick Mancuso, P- Peter Coyote, Jack Nicholson even. Uh, what else? Did I say Nick Nolte? Yeah. <laughs> um, but their top choice really, which is an interesting one and I think would have been a good one, and the one that most people probably have heard of, is Tom Selleck. Of course, Magnum P.I. was their number one pick really for Indiana Jones or Indiana Smith at the time. And they really wanted him, and they basically almost had him signed up. But uh, he was committed to do this series, uh, uh, this Magnum P.I. TV series, and they thought there would be a filming conflict between that. That was just about ready to get going around the time they wanted him to do Raiders. So they really, uh, the network, uh, I forget what network Magnum was on, but I think it was CBS, they basically said, no, no, you're doing our show, you can't do this movie. The, the, iron, the, the slightly ironic thing about the whole deal is that they actually finished filming Raiders before they filmed the, even the first scene of Magnum P.I. So Tom Selleck was, again, their first choice. There's even some footage you can find where he's doing some early test uh, screenings and, and not test screenings, what do you call it, or whatever, where they, they go in and they do some, uh, they film some scenes of the actors trying out for the roles. I don't know, I'm blanking on the name for that. <laughs> It's not test screenings. Anyway, uh, you, know, you know what it is. The, the actress that you see him with in those scenes is uh, Sean Young, who eventually works with Harrison Ford in the movie Blade Runner. She has a very similar look to, uh, I think, Karen Allen for the role of Marion Ravenwood, uh, but uh, a little different. And, I, I, you know, now you look at this movie and you know Harrison Ford is in it, Karen Allen is Marion, and you kind of say to yourself, who else could do these, these roles? But they looked at a lot of other actresses, too, and they kind of like Sean Young quite a bit, but they eventually went with, uh, they found Karen Allen and went with her. They they liked her better, uh, and she seemed to also play off Harrison Ford better, they thought. Uh, a couple other actresses considered for the part of Marion were Amy Irving and Deborah Winger, which uh, were, you know, again, these were played off of different actors when they were doing the test, uh, you know, readings and Tim Matheson and other people were used with uh, some of these. Deborah Winger, I know you can find quite a bit in some of these, uh, some of this footage. Anyway, long story again, the slightly short. They eventually couldn't use Selleck, and then Spielberg again proposes, hey, how about Harrison Ford again? Another little stopping uh, point for Lucas on this was they knew Harrison didn't like to necessarily sign up for more than one movie at a time. And they originally, and from the very beginning, had the idea of doing three movies in the indie series. And they wanted whoever they, they cast in the role of indie to sign up for all these movies. And Harrison Ford kind of surprised him when they went to him and said, hey, would you like to do this? Harrison loved the script, loved the character. He's, I think, gone on record in a number of interviews and has always said it's probably his favorite role of all time that he's played. 
And the the surprised uh, Lucas and even Spielberg and said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll sign for all three movies at the beginning. So they had Harrison, they had Karen Allen, and uh, they started to make Raiders. Dr. Jones, again, we see there is nothing you can possess which I cannot take away. And you thought I'd given up. You chose the wrong friends. This time it will cost you. Too bad the Jovitos don't know you the way I do, Belloc. Yes, too bad. You could warn them. If only you spoke Jovitos. Hokana Matuso! Yeah, that's actor Paul Freeman there in the role of Belloc, uh, who does an amazing, just a great job as, as Indy's nemesis. He's smart, he's kind of suave and sophisticated, where, where Indy's kind of rough and tumble a little bit, and, and they, they play, off, uh, play off each other really well in the movie. I like the fact that they both kind of go after Marion a little bit. Uh, Marion Ravenwood, by the way, uh, her name, the name of that character... Uh, Lawrence Kasdan, the scriptwriter, he his let's see his wife's grandmother's name was Marion, so that's where that came from. He wanted kind of more of an old-fashioned name, and Ravenwood was a street uh, nearby where he lived, so that's where they came up with that for uh, her character. Uh, but again, Bellick, and the interesting thing about Paul Freeman is they had this idea that Bellick, of course, from his name, he would be a Frenchman. But they didn't realize it. But even before they cast him, they they hadn't asked Paul Freeman, "Could you can you do a French type accent?" And of course, he 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 could fortunately do a pretty okay one, I guess, at least to me, an American. You know, listening to him, he sounds kind of French to me. And uh, but uh, that uh, that character of Belloc, I really like in the movie, and it's nice to see that kind of a smart nemesis for the, for the main character too. Other thing about this film uh, that I love, and I'll probably mention here and there throughout the rest of the show is the music by John Williams. It, it is so important to the movie, just like it was in Star Wars. John Williams creates a whole unique, different kind of score here. Very adventurous, very exciting, and, and fits the movie just like a glove so so well, just like uh, Indy's outfit you know, fits him so well. And we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, as we go through more of the movie. Uh, what else? I think that's it. Let's play a uh, another little clip.
Yeah, so we learn about, uh, you know, everyone, every character, you know, needs some kind of a weakness. And we, we learn there that Indy is, is terrified of snakes. And, of course, you learn about a little bit more about that in the third movie, The Last Crusade, where they show Indy at the beginning of the movie as a young boy out uh, with the scouts. And he falls into this uh, train car, I think it was. Yeah, it's a train car full of snakes. And he's just petrified. And I think that sets him, you know, for the rest of his life as being afraid of uh uh, snakes, because earlier I think in that scene you you uh, you see him pulling a snake off of one of his friends, if I remember right. That's we'll talk about that someday when I cover the Last Crusade. But so Indy doesn't like snakes. Another little thing about this, as I was reading some of the uh, early ideas, was was Indy was supposed to be a little more of a kind of a playboy and and a womanizer and and certain characteristics that. They don't really bring out that much in this movie, and as you see the other movies and even the uh, the young uh, Indiana Jones Chronicles that they did up for TV, that really doesn't come across. He's a professor. He's a smart uh, character and, you know, very proper when he's at the university that he teaches at, and then he's got this sort of alter ego when he puts on the whole indie outfit when he goes off on these missions and these, you know, uh, jobs for the university and for other people to collect these rare antiqu- antiquities. Antiquities? <laughs> oh, it's too early still. Uh, anyway, he's uh, you know he's got a little bit of a dual life. I always thought that he's sort of Batman and like that a little bit. You know, Batman's Bruce Wayne, kind of this suave, kind of collected character uh, on the surface, and then when he puts on the the bat outfit, you know, all the whole suit, he becomes a different person in a way. Uh, so India is the same thing. And I guess we could talk a little bit about his outfit. There are some pre-production sketches you'll see. And this outfit was pretty much determined early on. The leather jacket, a hat. You know, hats were worn in this era quite a bit. Uh, and, and, of course, the whip and the gun and all of that. The uh, the leather jacket, of course, there were multiple leather jackets that were created for for both Harrison Ford and the stuntmen. They were brand new jackets. They they had to be artificially distressed with things like steel wool and sandpaper and rough them, you know, stomp on them on the ground. Same thing with his hat. There's a, a I don't know, I can't remember the name of the the hat maker, but it's a place in London, I believe. And they found a hat. It's sort of an Australian style fedora that they liked and used that and just kind of dirtied it up a little bit, made it look like it was used all the time and worn all the time. And you'll notice, I think in the first movie, he seldom really loses his hat. It's not like it ever blows off his head, really, in the first film. It's off his head at certain points in the movie, but it's it's when he takes it off. It's not. It doesn't just come flying off. It's almost like glued on. Uh, even when he's in the water, you know, in that early part of the movie, it, it somehow stays there. <laughs> and the, the whip, the, you know, that was a kangaroo hide bull whip. Most of the time, it, the ones that they used in the movie, there were several, but it's a 10-foot-long bull whip. And Harrison Ford became quite good with it. Uh, got a guy to help him learn how to use it and and crack it. And, and you know, it's used a lot in the first movie in, in various ways. And it's kind of his trademark. And I, I, I love the way he uses it in different places to get out of trouble and, and things like that. The next clip, this one's kind of a long one. This is when the guys come to the university and talk to him about this missing arc and that the Nazis are, are after it. Hey, Dr. Jones, we've heard a great deal about you. Have you? Professor of archaeology, expert on the occult, and uh, how does one say it? Obtainer of rare antiquities. One way of saying it, why don't you sit down? You'll be more comfortable. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, you're uh, 
man of many talents. Now, you studied under Professor Ravenwood at the University of Chicago. Yes, I did. You have no idea of his present whereabouts? Uh, just rumors, really. Somewhere in Asia, I think. I haven't really spoken to him for ten years. We were friends, but, uh... Had a bit of a falling out, I'm afraid. Mm. Dr. Jones, now, you, you must understand that this is all strictly confidential, huh? I understand. Uh, <clears throat> yesterday afternoon, our European sections intercepted a, a German communique that was sent from Cairo to Berlin. Now, you see, time. over the last two now, years, the Nazis have had teams of archaeologists running around the world looking for all kinds of religious artifacts. Hitler's a nut on the subject. It's crazy. He's obsessed with the occult. And right now, apparently, there's some kind of German archaeological dig going on in the desert outside of Cairo. Now, we've got some information here, but we can't make anything out of it, and maybe you can. Tannis development proceeding. Acquire headpiece staff of Ra, Abner Ravenwood, U.S. Nazis have discovered Tannis. Just what does that mean to you, uh, Tannis? Well, well the city of Tannis is one of the possible resting places of the Lost Ark. The Lost Ark? Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant, the chest the Hebrews used to carry around the Ten Commandments. What do you what mean, do you the mean the Commandments? You're talking about the Ten Commandments? Yes, the actual Ten Commandments, the original stone tablets that Moses brought down out of Mount Harab and smashed, if you believe in that sort of thing. Either you guys ever go to Sunday school? Well, I... Oh, look. The Hebrews took the broken pieces and put them in the Ark. When they settled in Canaan, they put the Ark in a place called the Temple of Solomon. In Jerusalem. Where it stayed for many years until all of a sudden whoosh is gone where well nobody knows where or when however an egyptian pharaoh Shishan. yes invaded the city of jerusalem around about 980 bc and he may have taken the ark back to the city of tanis and hidden it in a secret chamber called the well of souls secret chamber however about a year after yeah so that kind of sets uh india on the uh, adventure to to go find this lost ark and then he first has to go see his old love marion out in nepal uh, i wanted to say a little bit about you know when they first tried to get the financing for this movie i think i said most of the studios had turned them down uh eventually and uh, with a lot of uh encouragement and pestering paramount uh who michael eisner was was working at was one of the executives there that kind of cleared it who eventually he of course he goes on to work at disney but he really loved the script and he kind of eventually said okay to it uh one thing that george lucas george lucas has always been a, a pretty smart businessman and uh, he they made a little bit of an unusual deal when they made this movie the studio financed the approximately $20 million budget. It went a little over, cost them $22 million. That was another reason most of the studios had turned them down. They didn't feel that after they read the script they could really do this kind of a movie for that uh, type of budget. But Lucas also uh, made the deal that he would own about 40% of the film and collect almost half the profits after the studio grossed their, their share. So it turned out to be, since the movie was the biggest hit of 81 and went on to make money, you know, even at re-releases and, and DVDs and all that, Lucas made a ton of money off Raiders and, of course, the subsequent indie movies as well. Hello, Marion. Indiana Jones. 
Always knew someday you'd come walking back through my door. I never doubted that. Something made it inevitable. So what are you doing here in Nepal? I need one of the pieces your father collected. I learned to hate you in the last 10 years. I never meant to hurt you. I was a child. I was in love. It was wrong and you knew it. You knew what you were doing. Now I do. This is my place. Get out. Mohan, Temigaru, Bolianu. I did what I did. You don't have to be happy about it, but maybe we can help each other out now. I need one of the pieces your father collected. Bronze piece about this size with a hole in it off center with a crystal. You know the one I mean? Yeah. I know it. Where's Abner? Where's Abner? Abner's dead. Very sorry. Yeah, so that's uh, when we first meet Mary and she's, uh, you you see her doing this drinking contest with this other person and she's able to really for a little person, you know, she's not really that big. She's able to drink this other guy under the table. Is it a guy? I think it's a guy. I always had a little trouble with that character, you know, but anyway, uh, and then, you know, she's got this piece. Indy needs it to go hook on the staff and find the, the well of souls and everything like that. Of course, the Nazis show up and that nasty, weird looking guy tote, and uh, they tried to get that uh, piece, but uh, Indy helps fight him off, even though her place burns down. And then, of course, Indy's kind of stuck with Marion for the rest of the movie. But that that makes it a good uh, a good fit for me, and, and I like that that he gets Marion's help. And then they go off to Cairo and meet Sala. Creature. <laughs> then it shall be welcome in our house. Oh, well, no, you don't have to keep it here just because of me. I knew the Germans would hire you, Salah. You're the best digger in Egypt. My services are entirely inconsequential to them. You hired or shanghaied every digger in Cairo. The excavation is enormous. They hire only strongbacks and they pay pennies for them. It's as if the pharaohs had returned. When did they find the map room? Three days ago. They have not one brain among them, except one. He's very clever. He's a French archaeologist. What's his name? We call him Baloche. (laughs) Belloc. Belloc. The Germans have a great advantage over us. They are near to discovering the Well of Souls. Well... They're not going to find it without this. Who can tell us about these markings? Perhaps a man I know can help us. Yeah, that's John Rhys-Davies as uh, uh, Salah, uh, Indy's friend there uh, in Egypt. The uh, the other actor that was tossed around that they were thinking of getting for that character was Danny DeVito. Uh, and uh, there's a couple different reasons. I guess he was involved in the TV show Taxi at the time. Also, uh, the story that I, other story that I read was that he wanted more money than they wanted to pay, so they eventually went with uh, John Rhys-Davies, and again, it just seems perfect for the part, uh, and you can't really imagine anyone else, at least I can't right now, playing that character. Um, the There was another uh, big chase scene coming up here in the movie, 
that it's difficult really to play any of that for you because it's all just visual. But, of course, it's the scene where it ends in Marion being taken and looking like she, she they put her on this truck and it blows up and Indy thinks she's dead. The part I wanted to point out in that, and this has been talked about, I think most uh, big indie fans will know this, the scene with the swordsman, the Cairo swordsman and Indy there where he's brandishing that big sword, swishing it around, and Indy's kind of standing there. And you've seen him use his whip throughout the scene to keep different uh, bad guys away and things like that. There was this elaborate sequence and scene that they had planned and filmed out where Indy uses his whip to disarm the guy and they fight and things like that. But Harrison Ford was really uh, sick at that point. A lot of people got dysentery and different, uh, you know, very you know nasty little bugs when they were over there. And Harrison was was really not feeling well. And you know it's hot and all that. So to speed up the process, he suggested, well, why don't I just shoot this guy? I've got a gun. Why am I playing around here? And and Spielberg, I guess, really went for that idea. So that's what ends up in the movie. And probably gets you know a big reaction i remember i think when i was first watching this film when it was first out that scene i think everyone just loves you know that's just the character of indy it just fits so well it's kind of a han solo kind of a moment too a little bit but you know he's like there's this guy with this big sword this big swordsman guy coming at you and you've got this little whip and i don't care how good you are with it you've got a gun on your hip i mean what would you do i'd shoot the guy too so, and then of course, later on, Indy finds out Marion did not die and that she's still alive. Ah! Ah! I thought you were dead. It was a switch basket. Are you hurt? No, you have to get me out of here quick. I'm gonna be back in any minute. asking about you but you know what's wrong come loose i know where the ark is marion looks here well i'm coming with you jones get me out of here cut me loose you can't leave me here i'll take you out of here now i'll start combing the place for us jones you gotta get me out of here come on jones are you crazy you know i hate to do this but if you don't sit still quiet this whole thing is gonna be shot yeah so he can't take her away right then he finds marion in that tent uh bellock's kind of got a fancy for her and fancy for her what am i oh i'm just getting in the mood of the time right anyway so indy leaves her there and the eventually they escape and there's this whole sequence you know with the biplane and Indy fighting that big German guy, and then eventually uh, they get they dash away from that. One thing I wanted to mention there was that that plane actually does roll over uh, Harrison Ford's leg at one point. You see him kind of get out of the way, but it messed up his knee pretty badly. And they, but he he just kind of continued on with the scene. They kind of put some ice on it, wrapped it up a little bit. And uh, he moves on. I guess he tore some ligaments or something because of that. And he gets pretty hurt and, and beat up in this movie. Harrison Ford does. He he does a lot of his own stunts. There are a couple of stuntmen that play him at different different points. But a lot of the things you see that, you know, where he's looking like he might have got a little hurt or something happens, most of the time that's that's really what is happening. The next thing that I wanted to play here, this is when they uh, they're finding the arc and they see 
There's something kind of moving down. Indy, what's what's that moving on the floor of the Well of Souls? Why does the floor move? Give me your torch. Yeah, so they, uh, the, the of course, Indy's, you know, weakness, his kryptonite is is snakes, and of course the Well of Souls is just filled with them. And they, originally the story is that, or the story that I've read and, and, and heard is that the, they didn't have nearly enough snakes to begin with. They, they scoured everywhere for, you know, getting as many that they could put down there to fill up that big set. And eventually they actually cut little pieces of rubber hose and kind of filled in. If you watch really carefully, you can even pick that out at sometimes in the movie. Little parts that, you know, that doesn't, that's not a real snake. That's not a real snake. That's a, that's a piece of rubber hose and so forth. But I, I don't think you really notice it that much. I don't. And I've watched the movie quite a few times. So, but the, uh, the one scene where Harrison's down there and there's that cobra all rearing back right in front of his face, uh, one thing uh, to note that they did there to uh, protect him, protect Harrison Ford, is there's a pane of glass, actually. They did a lot of things old school and try to do it in camera. In other words, they didn't try to do this optically or anything. You know, these days, if they had to do something like that, they'd probably just CGI in a snake or something. But this is a real snake, but they put a pane of glass between Harrison Ford, between Indy and the snake to protect him and that that cobra actually did spit some venom and it's on the it's on the glass uh and it was uh you know a good idea they put that there i mentioned the the john williams musical score i want to play this next clip for you even though you don't hear uh very much uh dialogue or anything like that this is the whole truck chase sequence where indy's uh following the nazis put the the ark in a truck and he chases after them on the horse they get that whole scene where He's being dragged uh, under the truck, and he, you know, throws off a lot of Germans, runs them off the road, beats them up. They beat him up. Uh, his stuntmen did some of that scene where they're being dragged under the truck. That scene was kind of a throwback to uh, an old movie scene that's been done in the past. They also had uh, they had raised up the the lower level of the truck to give him more room. They also dug a little bit of a trench. Harrison Ford actually does. Uh, be, is dragged behind the uh, truck for a little ways. Actually, br- bruised up some of his ribs during that sequence. Uh, but I want to play it. It's only about a minute, but it's mostly musical, and and just to showcase John Williams' great score and how well it fits into this truck chase that took them weeks to do, like six to eight weeks, just to do this sequence in the movie.
The next clip that I want to play, we got to keep going with this. I've got some listener comments to play uh, as I wrap up the look, but uh, we've got still a fear, you know, four or five clips to play left from the movie and a little bit more discussion. Next clip, though, is when they get to um, they get to the ship that they're going to take the Ark away on, Indian Marion. There's a nice scene. Uh, actually, Spielberg says it's one of his favorite scenes. The little kind of uh, semi-love scene in the, in the cabin there with between uh, Harrison Ford and Karen Allen, and between Marion and Indy. And I wanted to point out that uh, Harrison Ford does ad lib a few mo- lines in this movie. And one of the lines, one of my favorite lines that he ad libs that I like to use uh, is the line in this scene where he says, uh, it's, not, it's not the years, honey, it's the mileage when she says he isn't the same guy she knew like 10 years ago. I love that line and the fact that it wasn't really in the script that Harrison just comes up with it on on the set is great. So listen to this clip. Where did you go? I'm cleaning up. Where'd you get that? From him. Who, him? Katanga. You got a feeling I'm not the first woman to travel with these pirates. It's lovely. Yeah. 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 What'd you say? Wait. I don't need you. Man, I knew ten years ago. It's not the years, honey. It's the mileage. Please, I don't need a nurse. I just want to sleep. He's such a baby. Marion, leave me. Who's this year? Go, Ray. Yes. Hurt. Wow. Well, goddammit, anywhere doesn't it hurt? Here. Here. This is too bad. That's yeah, a great scene. Love the music there too. The, the kind of love theme for the Raiders film. It, it's just also, you know, old fashioned and romantic. I, I I like it a lot. I like the fact that he just kind of he passes out there on on her, and and, and she's, you know, like well, that's the way it goes. You know, with India around. Uh, I wanted to say something more about Terrison and, and and his work with the whip in this movie. One thing I forgot to mention. You know, even though he did some training and did some work with it, uh, one of the problems that he had is that um, 
his wrist. He used to work when he was just starting out in Hollywood to make some extra money, and uh, he worked as a carpenter. He was, he got pretty good actually, uh, and did a lot of work at different celebrities' houses and things. And the the story that I read was that uh, Valerie Harper, who was Rhoda on the old Mary Tyler Moore show. Anyway, he was doing some work on her house. He was up on a ladder, fell off, and broke his wrist. And when he went to work with the whip and everything, it was really a little bit painful and difficult at first for him because there, there's a lot of wrist action. I've I've got a little, you know, kind of cheap whip that I, I bought uh, years ago to kind of play indie, you know, at Halloween and that. Anyway, and I think I've even, you know, shot a little video and put it up on the podcast before. But it, he's right, you know, the uh, and it, there's a lot of, you really got to work your wrist quite a bit when you're using a whip. And he had a hard time with that at first because he had broken his wrist, like I said, when he was a carpenter years before. So it took a little extra effort for him. But again, he got pretty good with it. The next clip, this is, uh, I like this scene a lot, this one. And, and the funny thing about this one when you watch the movie is Paul Freeman in this scene, Belloc, uh, and you watch it, you don't have to watch even very closely, but it's not on the lens of the camera, but there you'll see very clearly that a fly uh, flies into Bellick's mouth or Paul Freeman's mouth in this, and he just keep, keeps doing the scene and keeps going on with it, but it, it's pretty clear that when they were on location here in this scene that uh, Paul Freeman had to eat a fly for uh, the greater good. So anyway, listen to this uh, scene coming up here. Jones? Jones! I'm gonna blow up the acrony! Your persistence surprises even me. You're gonna give mercenaries a bad name. Dr. Jones? Surely you don't think you can escape from this island? It depends on how reasonable we're all willing to be. All I want is the girl. If we refuse, then your Fuhrer has no prize. Okay, stand back. All of you, stand back. Stand back. Okay, Jones. You win. Blow it up. Zurück! 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 Yes, blow it up! Blow it back to God. All your life has been spent in pursuit of archaeological relics. Inside the Ark are treasures beyond your wildest aspirations. You want to see it open as well as I. Indiana, we are simply passing through history. This, this is history. I like the fact that Indy, you know, he he threatens them. He's got this bazooka. You know, he's gotten he followed them uh, on the submarine situation. You know, that that's also one of the scenes that people always wonder. Well, how did Indy follow them on a sub all that way? And uh, there's a couple of ideas. If you read in the book, he basically takes his whip and wraps himself around the the conning tower, and he's able to stay, you know, afloat and above water throughout that whole trip, that long journey. But they didn't really need to show it. Also, subs in that era, in that time, didn't always go under really very often. They didn't go underwater very much. They weren't nuclear-powered like they are these days and couldn't stay under 
uh, for extended periods. So a lot of times when they were just traveling around, they would stay on the surface. So uh, so that's another idea. But um, but I like again the fact that Indy he's such a you know curious adventurer archaeologist that he wants to see this ark open too, and he can't bring himself to blow it up. And uh, a couple of clips left. The next scene is of course the big opening of the ark and don't don't look at it don't open your eyes don't look at it shut your eyes Marian. don't look at it no matter what happens Also need to say, you know, the Ben Burt, which was the sound effects guy who did uh, a lot of the sound effects in the Star Wars, you know, basically Star Wars films. He did the ones for Raiders, uh, also here. There's some great sound effects in this movie. He, he uses a lot of natural sounds. He records a lot of sounds, like uh, you know, he uses a pile of leather jackets and hits them with a baseball bat, or a lot of the punches and body blows and things you hear in this movie. You hear the good old Wilhelm scream, which is the scream that's been used in movies throughout time uh, in the truck sequence and, and lots of other stuff. They used uh, mannequins. They floated them in water and filmed them for some of the, the ghosts and the weird images uh, that you see when the arc is open there at the end of Indy. And, of course, the final clip here is near the end of the movie when they discover that top men are, are looking into the arc and investigating and studying it. Top men. Done your country a great service. Thank you. And uh, we trust you found the settlement satisfactory. Well, the money's fine. The situation is totally unacceptable. Well, gentlemen, I guess that just about wraps it up. Where is the Ark? I thought we'd settled that. The Ark is somewhere very safe. From whom? The Ark is a source of unspeakable power, and it has to be researched. And it will be, I assure you, Dr. Brody, Dr. Jones. We have top men working on it right now. Who? Top men. Hey, what happened? You don't look very happy. Fools. Bureaucratic What'd fools. What'd they say? I don't know what they've got there. Well, I know what I've got here. Come on. Buy a drink. You know. A drink?
have my uh, very brief look and discussion and ta- talk about the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Again, one of my favorite movies of all time. Just, it's just so great. Every time I watch it, I enjoy it. It never gets old. Never, never diminishes. It just gets better. I think almost. And it just shows how fun uh, of a movie it is that you can watch that many times again. There, there's a ton of information out on Raiders, books, uh, things online, a good uh, documentary and some backgrounds and things on the DVD sets. This, the other uh, one thing, too, about this, though, that I wish and is why, why aren't these movies in Star Wars 2 both out on Blu-ray? I mean, I, I just, if any movies were ever deserving of that, these certainly are. So... I'm going to quiet down now. There's, I, I, Again, I tried to just give you some basic information, some other stuff you may not know. There's a ton of other things out there, along with some listener comments. I've got about four, I think, or so to play for you. I'm going to kind of, uh, I might talk in between. I haven't decided, but it probably depends on, as I listen to these, if they need comments, or maybe I'll just run them together. Anyway, uh, first up, Brian and his thoughts on Raiders. Hey, Rico, it's Brian. Just wanted to call in and uh, leave you a couple words about Raiders of the Lost Ark. No doubt you'll have effectively covered all of the finer points of the film in your review, and I can't wait to hear it. All I have to say is Raiders was a phenomenon that I don't think anyone who wasn't there to see it in the film, in the, in the movie theaters, could ever really appreciate. Having coming off the high of 1980 and Empire Strikes Back, nobody thought that anything could beat the phenomenon that was Star Wars. And when Raiders came out, for someone like me, 11 years old, it was such a surprise. I had no idea what to expect. I hadn't read anything about it. And I sat down and for two hours of that film, I was at the edge of my seat. And that had never happened to me before. Raiders was the first film that was truly a movie of kinetic energy. It was relentless. It was the most action-packed movie I had ever seen. And it really spawned a genre of movies, none of which have ever been able to capture the magic that was that film. Looking at it now, yes, it, it, does, get a, it does age a little bit, doesn't get any worse, but you can see that there are some quieter times, there are some slower times in the movie. But in 1981, that movie was pure motion. And I just can never, ever explain to anyone how it felt to watch that movie for the first time, having never seen anything that even remotely came close to it before. It was just incredible. I loved Raiders of the Lost Ark so much. It was truly the greatest part for Harrison Ford. I had no idea who Steven Spielberg was except for the fact that he did Jaws and Close Encounters. And it was just a perfect melding of story, actors, producers... And it just came together, and Raiders of the Lost Ark was magic. And for a single film, and the other films were good, but they never ever got back to the magic that was Raiders. But for a single film, it had to be one of the greatest movie experiences of my life. So I look forward to hearing what you have to say about it, and take it from one unrepentant older fan who just saw that movie with his mouth open, the greatest film. Uh, action film of all time. Take care, Rico. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Yep, I agree, Brian. I, I feel the same way. Tried to uh, bring that out. You know, when I said about seeing it for the first time, uh, just loved it, uh, and, and still love it to this day. And it, it, the interesting thing these days, I think, that is kind of a little bit sad is that people that are used to, you know, there are so many action movies 
that come out uh, each year now. I think when people, uh, you know, younger people maybe see this, they don't appreciate it. Although I will say that my my son's roommate in college loves these movies, so I, I don't think it's completely lost uh, on the newer generation. So thanks for your comments, Brian. Next up, uh, we've got, uh, I think, Meds with some comments about Raiders. Hi, Rico. This is Meds, and uh, brilliant that you do. Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's a film that uh, I personally think is an absolute um, uh, classic. It's, uh, it's certainly not a, a dated film, um, which is, by that I mean, at the end of the day, it's a film that you can put on at any time of the day, any time of the year. You know, it's a, it's a great Christmas film. Uh, it's a great summer film. Uh, it's a, just an all-round 100% um, audience pleaser. Harrison Ford is just top-notch in the role. Karen Allen is just awesome as the uh, uh, the, the female lead in it. Uh, in fact, she's the kind of um, female lead that you want in a film. You know, not just all screamy and looking weak, uh, which is the reason why I think Temple of Doom is, is, isn't as good. Um, it's just everything about it is fantastic. Brilliant ending, great boulder scene, let's face it, everyone loves it. And... Um, and and what great costuming as well. I think we've talked about this before. I know me and you have actually had this conversation um, regarding the, the, fa- uh, the famous fedora uh, made in uh, Herbert Johnson in London. Um, I think both of us own, uh, I know you do and I do as well, both own fedoras. Uh, I own one that's, that was made by Stephen Delks who did the, uh, the latest film versions. I still think the Raiders hat uh, is the best. They are all different. Uh, each film has a different variation of the hat. Uh, I think the uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark hat is is far superior. It's a higher crown, and just looks it just looks fantastic. The uh, the, the famous scene um, when they're digging up and and the silhouette of Indiana Jones in the background with his hat is just awesome. I mean, it's it's one of those pictures that should be framed and put on your wall. And one last thing I want to mention. Uh, regarding Raiders of the Lost Ark is it, uh, it stars uh, the famous uh, Birmingham uh, wrestler uh, Pat Roach uh, in it uh, he, uh, he, he turns up as the um, the Nazi um, bloke who gets caught by the propellers in fact he also plays another part in it and he was in every single Indiana Jones uh, film apart from Kingdom of Crystal School because he unfortunately he died of, of cancer uh, the reason why I mention him he was uh, born in Birmingham uh, where I was born and he's buried in Bromsgrove where I now live so uh, Pat Roach <laughs> I, uh, I follow you everywhere um, awesome film Rico thank you so much for, uh, for doing it um, it's, it's, I think, personally, it's the best out of all of the four films. Um, Temple of Doom is, was okay, but it's dated, and it looks dated. I don't know what happened. Spielberg must have had one of those moments of sheer insanity when he made that to date, to, to date the film. I don't know why it dates, but it does look like a, a mid-80s film. Last Crusade is awesome. Probably the second best film out of all the Indiana Jones films. And uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Crap. Uh, he's just rubbish, really. Let's face it. Come on, there's some good bits, but dancing gophers, people. You'd never have got that in Vegas. <laughs> uh, thanks for doing the show, Rico, and uh, I'll speak to you soon. Ta da. Thanks, Meds. I appreciate your comments. Yeah, I, I knew you'd know the exact uh, London hat maker that uh, they did create the hats that Dindy uses in the movies. And I, I did notice they were a little different in each film, although I think they're pretty similar. The same thing with his leather jacket, actually, is, is just a little different in the different movies, too. Next up, we have uh, Jedi Jeff and his thoughts on Raiders. Hi, Rico. This is Jeff from Canada. Jedi Jeff on the Treks and Sci-Fi forums. And I thought I'd give you some of my thoughts on today's podcast topic, Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
I remember seeing this movie when it came out in the movie theaters in 1981. I saw it at the time with my best friend at the time, my dad, and a cousin of mine who was going to college. What I kind of found interesting about that is I don't think I've ever seen another movie with those three people together. So every time I kind of think of Raiders of the Lost Ark, I think about the people that I saw it the first time with. Also, another thing about the movie is I recall going to see it and I really did not know anything about it. The only thing I knew was that Han Solo was in the movie, and that was about it. Also, I'd kind of seen the movie poster, so I knew that there were some horses in it, some trucks, and some airplanes, but uh, past that, I was, was kind of clueless on the movie and what was going to actually happen in it and what to expect about it, um, which probably made it really cool to see and um, kind of miss that maybe these days because you know so much about movies nowadays from the internet and all the advertising. But back then, yeah, this movie is just a real unknown for me. So anyways, I went into the movie not really knowing what to expect. I wasn't very old at the time. I think I was maybe 12, possibly, at the time when Raiders of the Lost Ark came out. And uh, maybe not the the sharpest uh, pencil in the drawer. And I, I recall you know, the movie opening up and, and watching the first opening scenes. And I was like looking for Han Solo. I was going, where's Han Solo? And uh, I don't know why I thought this, but I thought that uh, the character that Alfred Molina was playing, I thought that was... Uh, Harrison Ford I thought oh that's Indiana Jones I guess uh, that is you know that's him and uh, I don't know I I thought that for the you know the first few minutes of the movie while they're kind of looking for that temple you know I thought I thought that was Harrison Ford I, again I'm not sure why I thought that but I did so anyways when they got to kind of that iconic scene early in the movie when they they kind of pan to the real indie, I guess, or or the actual indie, the not the one that I was thinking of. Then I go, oh, there's Harrison Ford, there's Indiana Jones, there's Han Solo. I guess uh, at the time that that's how I um, related indie. So, anyways, then I kind of understood that, and then the the movie made a lot more sense. I guess some other things I really kind of really liked about this movie was that uh, it's just so much action in it, and. Uh, I hadn't seen a lot of movies in the movie theaters like I'd seen the you know at the time I'd seen Star Wars and I saw Empire Strikes Back and I saw a few other movies uh, you know Disney movies and I hadn't really ever seen a, a movie like uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark so all that uh, action was uh, wasn't anything that I was kind of uh, expecting I guess maybe a, a little bit the same as uh, you know first seeing Star Wars and kind of being blown away by that uh, I kind of got the same feeling from Raiders of the Lost Ark as well. I recall some of the scenes which really just stood out for me, which I'm sure you're, you've discussed in this podcast, you know, like the one where Indy kind of faces off against that that kind of swords guy and then he just kind of pulls out his gun and shoots him. I recall, oh, that's kind of cool, you know, that's a you know, kind of a just smart way to handle the situation. And then, you know, there's the other one with the, uh, the Nazi, kind of the lead Nazi guy who was um, hunting Indy and uh, he kind of came in and he was going to um, look like interrogate... Uh, Marion and he pulled out this uh this you know this this stick and I thought oh no he's going to club her and then it just turned out to be uh, a coat hanger and it's just like I kind of chuckled at that and I'm sure you've you've discussed that scene as well because that's one of the memorable scenes in the movie and I guess uh, another one I really enjoyed as well too is when Indy uh, had to fight that big German uh, mechanic uh, on the airstrip uh, that was kind of cool they never really showed what happened to the uh the mechanic passed his blood kind of getting splattered all over the plane but uh, I thought that was kind of a real cool scene as well I recall as well my friend and I 
when we left the movie, we were kind of pretending that our faces were melting, just like the uh, Nazi soldiers at the end of the movie when the Ark of the Covenant got opened. And we are kind of laughing and chuckling about that and having a good time. So it was kind of a fun way, I guess, to kind of leave the movie, even though maybe the scene wasn't really meant to be that way. We just kind of had kind of thought it was kind of fun and had a good time. Anyways, I'm probably talking to much here so i just uh like to give you my thoughts on the movie and i kind of give you those thoughts uh nothing nothing deep there it's just a kind of a fun movie uh that for myself and you know i have a lot of good memories about it and uh really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this movie because i know you're a big indie fan um so like say uh back to your show rico yeah, thanks, Jeff. I appreciate your comments. I, I really like hearing everyone's, you know, little take on when they first saw the movie, too. That That's always fun to hear. And, yeah, I have similar thoughts as well. And you're right, that scene with Tote and the uh, the Nazi interrogator guy, and, and he pulls out that thing, and you think it's, you know, he's going to beat up Marion, poor little Marion, and then it, it turns out to be his coat hanger. That's a great part, too. And uh, last up uh, is uh, Mr. Rick Moyer and his thoughts on Indy and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Hi, Rico. This is Rick from Aberdeen. I was going to do a parody of this song, but it was going to go like this. Indiana, Dr. Jones. Indiana, Dr. Jones, Jones, Jones. Indiana, Dr. Jones. Archaeologist, archaeologist, archaeologist. But that's all the further I got. And so um, I couldn't do any more than that. And uh, I made Christmas track my songs instead <laughs> anyway Raiders of the Lost Ark what an amazing film who wouldn't like it I mean after all you got Han Solo starring in it Harrison Ford great actor great special effects for the time what a great classic adventure raiding tombs and getting treasure and I, I so wanted to be an archaeologist after that because he just inspired us to to want to go and find treasure and stuff and what a great movie. I really liked the whole thing with the pyramids and the deciphering the hieroglyphics and all that stuff. It was just it's a great great show and of course at the end with the Nazis and the you know the opening the ark and everything. What a cool concept. What a great movie. My hat is off to uh Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. Weren't they the two that did it? I think they were. I'm not sure if both of them were on it. But anyway, great movie. I give it five stars. Thanks, Rico, for what you do. And thanks for reviewing Raiders of the Lost Ark. This is Rick Moyer from Taking With You saying, have a great day. Oh, thanks, Rick. And uh, I l enjoyed the part of the song that you were working on. It, it's I know you're such a you know you're really busy, and you you did create some new Trekmas songs, and I'm going to be playing one of those here in a few moments. And again, thanks to everyone that sent in their uh, comments about Raiders of the Lost Ark. Great to hear from you guys, and uh, really enjoyed the stories about seeing the movie and all that. I got to really wrap this up. We're going long this week. It's going to be a long podcast, one of the longest I think I've done. But I think it was worth it. Raiders of the Lost Ark, just a fantastic, fun, great movie. Uh, if there's anyone out there who has either maybe possibly not seen it or or maybe that you've seen it and you know people that haven't seen it, you really owe it to yourself. Hey, sit down over the holidays 
Yeah, like Med said, it's it's just you can watch this movie anytime. Sit down and enjoy Raiders uh, with some friends or family that may have never seen it, and uh, they won't be disappointed. I can't imagine really anyone not enjoying this movie. It, it's just a fantastic movie, definitely one of my favorites of all time. Next week on the podcast, on Treks in Sci-Fi, next week we're going to look at the Voyager episode 1159, and that will be on next week's show. In two weeks we'll be doing that special Trek Miss videocast, and uh, I'll be talking more about that a little bit probably next week. Anyway, everyone, have a great week. I'll talk to you next time. And uh, uh, to finish off the show, like I said, we're going to play a uh, a Rick Moyer uh, brand-new Trekmas song. This one is called Updated Space Saga. So thanks, Rick, for that, and thanks, everyone, for listening and contributing. Uh, I'll talk to you again next time. Bye-bye. Just hear those reviews singing, Abrams bringing them to... Come on, it's an updated version of a classic space saga for you. Outside the fans were wondering if he'd ruin the canon, oh boo. Come on, it's an updated version of a classic space saga for you. Pony up, pony up, pony up, let's go. Let's see the new show. We're lining up to boldly go. Pony up, pony up, pony up, it's grand. With JJ at hand. We're watching along with the cast without Bill Shatter in the van. Our cheeks have a permanent smile as we watch all the while with glee. We see the Enterprise and Dry Dock and Siler is the new Spocky. The crew goes to the Academy, party up for sanity too. Come on, it's lovely programming for Kurtz, Kobe, Ashimuru. There's a bad guy named Nero that wants to pay back Spock. So he strands him on the ice planet and makes him watch. As the red matter destroys Vulcan and kills people a lot. And the new Kirk runs from the red monster that chomps. Chomp, chomp, chomp. There's a happy feeling when the crew escapes this guy. When command is passed around and Kirk, he doesn't die. It'll set us up for Star Trek II where we might see the shack. These wonderful things are the things we remember about that. Yeah, we paid big money for the Blu-ray version, it's true. But to have some track after the long break is cool. It's an updated version of a classic space saga for you. For you. Oh